What does your home smell like? Describe the aroma of your home. Now, the word aroma, let me give you some synonyms so we don't go into some funny, witty, or wrong places with when I say describe the aroma of your home. Would you say that your your house, that it's a place of joy, gratitude, thanksgiving? That's a good word cloud right there. In fact, you could take the word aroma and you can put it in the center of a piece of paper and you can draw lines out. And at the end of each line, you can put the word joy. It it flows out of that word aroma. Gratitude is another word. Thanksgiving. Is that the aroma of your home? As it is regularly, this kind of aroma is wafting through the rooms and down the hallways of your house. Now, as you think about this idea of the aroma of your home, specifically joy, gratitude, thanksgiving, that that is the environment of your home, before you go to the specks that live in your house with you, I I want you to think about the log first. I want you to narrow your focus down to yourself. This is what Jesus was asking us to do in Matthew 7. You know the language there that you address the log in your eye before you begin thinking about all them specks that live with you. And so what is the aroma that comes out of you? Not just the aroma in your home, because the aroma in your home is a product of what comes out of you, the log. Now, I realize there's specs there, too, but again, we want to work with what we can change. And I can change me, I can't change you. You can change you, you can't change others. And so does the aroma that comes out of your mouth, does it it smell like joy and gratitude and thanksgiving? Maybe another question that will help you to think about this is how aggressive are you in expressing gratitude to your family members? Well, I want to talk about that in this podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I am Rick Thomas, and you're listening to Your Daily Drive. And if you want to read this podcast, I want you to. And so go to our website, rickthomas.net. Here's the title, the podcast, the article, if you wish to read it. How to Create the Aroma of Gratitude in Your Home. Some of you have heard me say before that statistically speaking, the people that I interact with the most are are those who are discouraged and depressed and despondent and despairing and angry and frustrated and victimized and a whole lot of words like that. And so statistically speaking, I have insight into a lot of Christians' homes, but I realize that my numbers are skewed because, because of the profession that I have chosen to give my life to. I typically see only one kind of person I know that there are homes out there that are full of joy, full of thanksgiving, full of encouragement, affection, and gratitude. But I, I, I don't see them as much as I see the others, and that's why I, I write this way. And so if your home is full of joy and gratitude and thanksgiving, praise God, and I want you to go export that. I want you to go and share with others how how they can follow you as you follow Christ. But for the rest of you, the where the aroma of your home is not how I have been describing it, joy, gratitude, thanksgiving, well then, this podcast is really for you. 
And, and I, I just ask that that the Lord would use what I've written here and what I'm sharing here in audio, that he would use it in your heart, that they, they would begin to bring a change to your mind. It will begin to impact your family. And if the aroma of your home is not like joy, gratitude, and thanksgiving, that it will begin to evolve that way. And as always, if we can help you, well, that's what we are here for. This ministry is brought to you by our faithful supporting community. We have a little small army of people who support our ministry at $5, dollars $50, uh, $5 a month or $50 a year or some version of that. And they are the ones they are partner with us and they are the ones that, that allow so many people uh, to be able to enjoy and benefit from this ministry. And so if you want to talk to us, we do have the ability because of our supporting community to take the time to be able to interact with you on our free community forums. We have a gentleman that came there. Well, he's been here before, but he today he asked, is it okay if I continue to ask you all questions? And I said, absolutely, we're here for you. We will never turn you away. We will be sad if you leave us because we do want to serve you. It's what we want to do. We don't want your money. We just we just want to help you. We have a faithful supporting community, and I want you to take advantage of it. And so if we can serve you, please, please let us know. Now, you're welcome to read the article again, How to Create the Aroma of Gratitude in Your Home, and, and it would be fantastic if you would share it with with a friend or two. The first question for you to answer is that what kind of builder are you? All of us are building something into our relationships. Now the question is, is what are are we building? Uh, Paul used the language in Ephesians 9 that we're either building people up or we are tearing people down. Those are the two options that he gave us in 429 of Ephesians. One of the most challenging but informative questions you could ever ask your family members is how they experience you. Isn't that a profound question? It's an intimidating question for many of us. And perhaps if you think that if you say, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask this question to my family members, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit them down individually and I, I want to go to them and say, how do you experience me? Now, here's the way that you could frame that. Do, are you more aware of my corrections and my displeasure or are you more aware of my gratitude for you? Those are the two options. Do you experience more displeasure from me? I'm disappointed in you. Or do you experience more gratitude from me? Now, perhaps for some of you, because of the nature of your relationships with your siblings or your parents or your children or your spouse, maybe you need to preface it by saying, if you had perfect freedom to answer this question in any way that you want to and and know you're 100% assured that I, I'm not going to react adversely to you, how would you answer it? Some of us, maybe we've done a poor job in our relationships and we need to give them assurances to give them the freedom to answer so they don't be intimidated or or be so guarded that they give us an answer that we want to hear rather than the answer that is really that is really in their hearts. But what you want to do is is you really do want to examine this, whether you talk to your family members or not, but what do they experience more from you? Some kind of critical negative attitude? 
or do they experience your, when they think of you, it's like this person is just grateful for it. Mom is just grateful for me. Dad has gratitude in his heart for me. Now, I'm not thinking about your most recent interaction with your family member. Perhaps you corrected one of them recently, and if you did, they're probably focused on that, and that may be that may persuade how they answered the question. You see, there's a difference between episodes and patterns. An incident is like looking through a microscope, and so it's really close, and you're examining it. It's real. It was recent. It's something that happened. And if that's true, that may be how they answered the question. But I'm not talking about an episode. I'm talking about a a pattern. I'm, I'm talking about how you generally talk to your family members. And so the question is, do words of encouragement generally more often come out of your mouth, or words that discourage, words that have negativity attached to them. Now, Paul did talk about this in Ephesians 4.29, and he used the language of building up. The old word for building up is edify. Edify means to build up. It's like building something up from the ground level. Here's the verse, <clears throat> excuse me, here's the verse, and I, I know you're familiar with it, but I just want to Say it out loud. In Ephesians 4.29, he said, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those that hear. Besides the fact that encouragement is life-giving, it really is. Encouragement just gives life. It builds up. It does edify. There are times when you do have to correct someone in your home. And that's where you don't want to err on either side. You can be all negative all the time, discouraging, mean-spirited, cynical, whatever those negative words are. Or you can be on the other side, and it's love, 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 but yet you, you never bring any confrontation or warning, and there's nobody in your home that's perfect. And so there are times when you do need to confront. And so if you live in the middle where you are always loving and sometimes confronting the idea or knowing that you will have to confront from time to time, it should motivate you to put to put money in the bank. If you want to invest in, in the child's life or the spouse's life, because all discipline and corrective action, it must happen in a context of grace. It would be very wise if you spent your days looking for those moments to identify and isolate where a family member did something well, and you let them know about it when they do something good, something nice, something redemptive, something Christ-like, identify it, isolate it, and let them know about it. Because, well, why do you do this? Because you are grateful. Grateful people want to be grateful toward others. Now, your gratitude for them is not merely for what they did. And so you don't want to fall into that lane all the time. There will be times when you will just tell them that you love them just because, and it's not attached to anything that they did. And so there's two things working here. You don't always want to connect love to actions, you love your family just because of who they are. Think about how God loves you. He loves you every moment of your life. Are you always doing stuff for God? No, and neither am I. 
God loves you every moment of your life, whether you are being active or inactive for him. He loves you when you're binge-watching Netflix. It's not always about doing stuff. The Lord lavishes his kindness on you because you are his child, and his lavish love has a transforming effect on your soul. And so the big question here is, if you're imitating the Lord by being a lavish lover of your family members. This kind of active gratitude for your family, it's not a strategy that is engineering a particular result. Sometimes we parents can get into that mode where, where we think about doing something God-like, Christ-like, holy for our children, and then we immediately think about, will this bring a desired result? Meaning, will my, will my child love God for the rest of his life and never sin again? You want to make sure that your strategies are properly motivated, and the reason that you want to show active gratitude to any family member, not primarily because you're trying to engineer a particular result. And I know that temptation. I mean, I succumb to that temptation too. Now, it is true. If you are kind and appreciative for a family member, it can, might, chances are high, doesn't always, but the chances are good, strong, that it can bring a harvest of excellent fruit. But your primary motivation for being this way, being grateful, it has to have a God-centered orientation, not a human-centered orientation. The number one reason you want to encourage others, why? is because of the Lord's good work in your life. You see, the individual who understands the Lord's forgiveness the most will be the most grateful toward others. It's like an equation. Much mercy translates to much gratitude. Let me illustrate. Imagine the prisoner who had a life sentence, and then the judge inexplicably pardoned the criminal. The freely pardoned man will view and respond to life differently from someone who has never experienced such a dramatic life change. Now, let me quickly add here that if you have been born from above, you have had a dramatic life change. What I don't want you to do is to equate, I didn't have a dramatic life change because I didn't sin much. No, you were totally depraved outside of the grace of God, broken through and through, rotten to the core, bad to the bone. Maybe your sin list is not as long as mine, or maybe it's not as significant as the next person that you know. But if you have been born again, you have been rescued from the pit of sin, the, the bog, as uh, David talked about in Psalm 40. And the freely pardoned person who understands this, well, the depth of their forgiveness or their understanding of their forgiveness will equate or translate to much gratitude. Therefore, if you don't have much gratitude for what God has done for you, you really don't understand the Lord's forgiveness. And the grumbling, critical spirit is a person who does not practically understand the gospel. I'm not suggesting that God has not granted them the gift of repentance, but from a functional perspective, they have not worked out their salvation enough to where what God has given to them is redemptively affecting 
them and all of those around them. God loves those that he disciplines. And this is the kind of person that you want bringing corrective care to you. I want to take this down another notch. Let's say that you are not a grateful person. Well, when it comes time to confront people in your home and you're not a grateful person because you haven't made that practical understanding of that equation, he who is forgiven much is grateful much, therefore you're not a grateful person, but you are a grumbling person, negative person, you're not an appreciative person. Imagine someone correcting you who did not have affection for you. How awful would that be? That's why I said God loves those he disciplines, and that's the kind of person that you want. Not only do you want to be, but that is the kind of person that you want bringing corrective care to you. Turn it around, and let's pretend for a moment that you are the person who is receiving corrective care. Who do you want to receive it from, a grateful person or a negative, critical, grumbling person? You can sense the differences in the discipline between the person who loves you and the person who doesn't. And if you haven't haven't spent time putting that money in the bank, then what they're going to experience from you, they're going to sense it. and, And you're going to lose some of the force of the discipline because they're going to struggle with you and your lack of evidential love for them. The most effective way to distinguish yourself between these two types of people, the the person who is negative and critical and grumbling, the person who has thanksgiving, joy, and gratitude, is that what you want to do is to create a proven track record of affection for your family members. You practice showing love for them. This idea does get back to putting money in the bank concept. Because of the extravagant love the Lord gives to you, there is a desire in your heart to spread that kind of love to others. It has to flow that way. Then there will be days where you will have to correct a family member. And if you have been regularly doing for them what the Lord always does for you, The corrective care that you provide will feel like care rather than someone who is getting something off their chest. Too often our warnings and confrontations to other people have a punitive feel to it rather than a redemptive one. Now, there are two primary areas where you want to examine yourself along the lines that I'm speaking. The first is vertical. You always want to start there your relationship with the Lord. You have to examine that first. If you want to address this issue or tighten it up some, if there's a little bit of something you need to repent of, well, in in order to do that, the first thing you have to do is to address your relationship with the Lord. And then the second thing you want to do is to address your relationship with that family member. And so you want to assess these two areas in the order that I just gave you. Now, this follows the two great commandments, to love God and love others. It has to be in that order. Too many people attempt to address their family problems before they tackle their most significant relationship in their lives. 
which is their relationship with their creator. You can't do that. And it doesn't matter if you're a believer or an unbeliever. If you don't speak to how you think about and react to the Lord first, it will be hard to live with other people. Let me illustrate. The unbeliever, let me illustrate with these two people, the unbeliever and the believer. The unbeliever's relationship with the Lord, well, it's more clear-cut. There isn't a good one. They have a relationship with God, but it isn't a good one. It's a hostile one, an adversarial one. The Lord's wrath is on them right now, according to John 3.36. And so the unbeliever, they have less options. They can only... They can't rely on the Lord to help them. They can't, they can't really fix their relationships with other people without using worldly strategies and best practices and self-reliant efforts. That's all they have. And so they're scrambling to find a way to interact with their relationships horizontally because their relationship with God is broken, to put it mildly. But then the believer's relationship with the Lord, it can be more complicated. It's not as straightforward, depending on the maturity of the believer, depending on the shaping influences of the Christian, depending on their passion for God, and a host of other things. Well, it can impede how they relate to the Lord, and it will have a direct impact on their interactions with other people. And so I don't know what your relationship with the Lord is like. I don't know what the shaping influences have been, the things that you need to work on, the things that you need to tweak, but you do need to address those. I mean, assuming that there's things to address. I mean, there are in my life, and I imagine that you haven't perfected your sanctification yet. And so you want to make sure that you address whatever the inconsistencies or inadequacies that they are in your life, in your relationship with the Lord, because that's going to have an impact on you on how you relate to others. And it's so important that you really understand what I'm saying here, because if you start trying to fix a relationship on the horizontal level, as in that is 1A, well, you're starting in the wrong place. Your relationship with God always has to be 1A, and relationship with others is always 1B. And so the best answer is for the believer to have a practical understanding of forgiveness and to find much energy and passion and gratitude for the gift of salvation. And the clearer and the cleaner and the more biblical your understanding of the gift of salvation, the more it's going to impact how you relate to other other people. This person who has a true practical understanding of the gospel, they're going to be like the psalmist with an overflowing cup. No matter where they go, they will impact those around them with an appreciation for the Lord's mercy. Remember the equation again. You have been forgiven much, therefore you are overflowing with kindness and appreciation and affection for other people. You can even love your enemies, as Jesus told us to do. Now, I'm not saying that you'll be a talking head or or someone who has an uh, annoying cup full of joy. Some of us are introverted. I'm an introverted person. It takes me a lot of work to talk. I'm working now. I'm literally working now because I'm not a talker. Some people can talk easily. Some people, it's just not their personality. My personality is I'm not the center of attention. 
I'm not a talker by nature. And so that's not going to change. I'm not saying that you're just going to change your personality and you're going to become a talking head because you understand the gospel and forgiveness and repentance and salvation. But what I am saying, you'll become more stable, more confident. You'll become more secure in your relationship with the Lord. And because of that, this type of believer will be less reactive. There are other Christians who have a harder time with people for all sorts of reasons. They're more reactive emotionally. When there are days that are going well, you could be the recipient of their genuine passion. Genuine passion. Alternatively, when things are not meeting their expectations, you start lifting up the drawbridge on your heart because something's coming and it won't be redemptive. And it's because they don't have the relationship with the Lord that they need. And so they move more with the wind. They, they don't have a stability and a confidence and a security in their souls. They don't have the shalom that they need. That's the overflowing that you really want to have toward other people. It's not so much about your how many words you use or your word count. Some people will talk a lot. Some people not so much. The question for you and me is where do we land with our relationship with the Lord? Are you growing in God-centered stability because of the confidence that you have in his work in your life? There or are there too many too many adverse fallen strains, strains, strands rather, strands of fallenness that, put, that, that really makes it hard for you to relate well to others. And if that's the case, then you really need to focus on your relationship with the Lord. As you are addressing your relationship with God, you want to move down the great commandment scale, love God, love others, and you want to begin to address how you are faring with those within your home. Of course, the ideas that I'm sharing here apply to any person in your life. But in the context of what I'm sharing in this podcast, the focus is, is your home life and my home life. How do others experience your gratitude or your displeasure? Going back to the initial questions that I asked. If these two things were 1A and 1B, if gratitude and displeasure were 1A and 1B, which goes where? What do your family members receive the most from you? Your negativity or your, I'll say, positiveness for sake of a word. The ideal is for your corrective care to be like a sour drop in an ocean of love. That's the best way for corrective care to be. It's just a small sour drop. It is a sour drop. It's painful. It's corrective. It's confrontational. But it drops in an ocean of love. And it can be that way if your home has the aroma of joy, love, affection, laughter, fun. Christians should be the happiest people on earth. I'm not negating those seasons of sorrow that come in all of our lives, but I'm emphasizing the other times of rejoicing. We want to be appropriate, not fake. It's not right to inflate joy for the sake of appearance. May our joy be genuine. If joy is not a glaring characteristic of your personality, there is something the Lord needs to change. Again, I'm not saying you should reinvent your nature 
to be that over-the-top happy personality type. I'm, I can't, I'm not that way. But your contentment in Christ and your affection for your family should be evident. A helpful case study along these lines is how Paul responded to the Corinthians. The two Corinthian letters were corrective warnings, to put it mildly. Paul did not hold back from bringing some of his most complex confrontations to this group of believers. He spoke straightforwardly and strongly because they needed it. The instructive thing about his corrective care is how he launched into it. I would appeal to you, it would be helpful for you to study the first nine verses of the first letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. In that section, you see, you hear, you feel Paul's heart for the people he was correcting. And if you read those first nine verses, any rational person would conclude that this man loved those people. You could not walk away from the first nine verses and think, Otherwise, and even though his confrontations were intense, those who had ears to hear had to know that he loved them. Now, I'm not going to get into all of that here, but it is in this article for the sake of time. I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to punch out now, but there's more to this article, and I would love for you to read it because I, I present to you a case study, and I pulled some of the verses out from 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 9, exactly what Paul said, and I ask you some reflective questions for you to compare yourself to how Paul appreciated and the deep affection that he had for these mean people. And this is almost a worst-case scenario, how to love mean people. I'm not saying the people in your home are mean, but the Corinthians were. And if Paul could love mean people, I think, I think you and I can adapt to where we can love those in our home. The title of the podcast, How to Create the Aroma of Gratitude in Your Home. There's a lot here. There's some questions here. And as always... We are here, and so if you want to talk about it, please jump on our free community forums, and we would love to chat with you. Thanks for listening.